scripture tonight comes from Luke chapter 19, 11 through 27. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable, because he was near to Jerusalem, and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he came, he gave them ten, ten minas, and he said to them, Engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having re received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him, saying, Lord, your mina has made ten, more, ten minas more. And he said to them, Well done, good servant. Because you have been faithful in, in a very little, you shall ha have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, said to him, You are to be over five cities. Then another came, saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you, because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Then why did you not put my money in the bank at my coming? I might have collected it with interest. And he said to those who stood by, Take the mina from him and give it to the one who has the ten minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten minas. I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for the enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Um, Heavenly Father, um, as the semester closes, um, I just want to, again, thank you for RUF. Um, I thank you that um, all the fitness you require is to feel um, our need of you, um, and you give us that. Um, I am thankful for every human face in here. I am thankful for Chris Horn. Um, and I am thankful for your word, and that it is true, and that it is good, and that you speak through it. Um, bless these people, um, and bless the rest of our semester. Um, we love you. Amen. Um, so, who's running the gobbler on Saturday? Yeah, all right. Any kind of race that involves eating cobbler at the end, I'm for that. Um, uh, expectations uh, really determine how you do in a, in a race afoot, I'm, I'm told. Uh, I have a friend that's coming to town this weekend. He's going to run the Gobbler 5K race with me, except for he's run multiple marathons. And I have once run two consecutive miles. And I'm, thank you. I'm aiming for 3.2 miles, roughly, on Saturday at 8 a.m., and uh, he texted me yesterday, and he was like, are you doing any pre-race workouts this week? And I was like, nah. Um, and he was like, well, do you have a time? Do you want to finish? And I was like, I just, dude, I just want to finish the, the race. And my expecta his expectations are like for a personal record, and my expectations are just to finish the race without collapsing. Um, and to eat cobbler at the end. And um, some of you guys came to college. How you ex what you expect to happen determines how things go. If you came to college and you're a freshman and you expected to eat great food um, on campus and you expected to sleep well 
every night on a very comfortable bed with someone that goes to sleep exactly when you do, then you've probably been sorely disappointed since you came to college. Um, some of you guys that are seniors, I talked to you over the summer, and you're like, this last year is going to be great because I don't have that many hours, and I'm just going to have all this time where I can hang out with my friends and just really coast through and do RUF. And you've also been sorely disappointed because your expectations did not match reality. And tonight, there is a parable that Jesus talks about, uh, that Jesus tells, that has everything to do with what we expect the world to be like. Okay? Um, he's talking, the way that you expect things to go will determine how you live in the moment. And um, at, as we dive into this, uh, you might not know how the Bible, you might be one of these people that we expect, and we're glad you're here. Maybe this is most of us in the room. They just don't feel like we have like a really great grasp on what the Bible teaches about history, about what's important, major events in history. And according to the Bible, this is going to come into play in a second, there's four major events that have happened in the world since the beginning of the world, okay? And this is what they are. And it's a question on the handout to keep you engaged with what we're talking about. The four major events of world history, according to the Bible, are as follows. Creation. Okay, God, who is eternal and is spirit, created the heavens and the earth in the beginning, and he made everything good, and he filled everything with his goodness and his beauty so that it would reflect his beauty and his glory and his majesty back to him. And he made human beings, me and you, as the chief celebrators of his goodness and his grace and his love. And he said, I made everything beautiful and good, and I put these human beings on it, and they're supposed to say, you are amazing and we love you, and reflect our, uh, his glory back to him. But then something very bad happened almost right from the beginning, is when God made human beings, they said, like these people in the parable say, we don't want this person to reign over us. Your love, your whole like love and glory thing sucks, and we don't want that. We want to do our own thing, and so... Creation happened, and then the next major event, the fall, happened, where human beings fell into sin. We rebelled against God, and we turned our backs on him, and basically um, wanted nothing to do with him. The crown jewel of his creation wanted no, no part of his love. And the way that God responded, we might expect God to respond, is to sort of walk away. Because this is what most of us do when someone does something that we don't like. They hurt us, they offend us, we either talk bad about them behind their back and act nice to them to their face, or we just want nothing to do with them. Or we go for social media annihilation on them, like all their pictures from 2007, and, um, so that everyone can see just how lame they were in sixth grade when everyone was lame. But God did not do that. He did not leave us to be on our own. He did not destroy us. God did something really strange. And this is going to sound really normal to you because you've heard it a million times because Christmas has happened. Um, is that God, instead of wiping us away, He became a person. Like He became a human baby. Which is really weird if you think about it. He became a peasant Israeli child in the first century in a redneck village to an unwed mother, and he was born where animals eat, okay? That is how God responded to our rebellion. And he came and he lived perfectly, and he went and took the judgment that we deserve, and he rose again from the dead to beat death. So, creation, fall, redemption, okay? And that's the last major event that has happened to date. 
Okay? We're looking forward to when God comes back, when Jesus, he is ridden, he's raised from the dead, he's gone to be with his father, he's gone to purchase a kingdom for us, and he's going to come back and make everything perfect, and put all the, right thing, the wrong things right. But we live now in this space between redemption and glory. And that space it, we call the, the already and the not yet. Okay? That this kingdom has already been purchased, but it's not yet here for us. And this guy is named Sinclair Ferguson. I was listening to him talk about this. He said, you know, mo- most of you guys, like you would consider the two most significant days of your life to be the day that you were born and the day that you will die. Like if there were two days that would mark the significance of your life, the day that you, were, you live between the day that you were born and the day that you die. But for Christian people, and I would say for everyone in this room, God has called us into a bigger and better story than even our own life and said, you live between the day that Jesus rose from the dead and the day that Jesus comes back again to bring in his kingdom and bring in glory. When God is going to get rid of all the injustice and rebellion in the world. And we live between those two days. And what Jesus is showing us in this parable is how do you live in that already and not yet time? Okay, you guys probably feel this, and I know you feel this because you talk to me, and you say, I go to class, and people are talking about things, and I'm, I care about them, I'm passionate about it, but I don't know how to engage in that conversation with them as a Christian person. Or you're not a Christian person, we're really thrilled that you're here, and you're like, I'm not sure what's going on with all that, but I have a lot of pain in my life, and I don't know what to do with it. How do you live in the already and the not yet? Well, a couple things. The first thing that I want us to remember that Jesus shows us is you have to remember the already. Okay, so if you're filling out your little thing, remember the already. In a sense, if, you, if you're here tonight and you trust Jesus, you are like a social work major. Okay? How many of you are social work majors? Nobody, no social work major. Okay, what? Chris and Sean, I see that hand. Rachel, okay. Um, how many of you are education majors? Okay, a lot of education majors. Okay. The weird thing about social work majors and education majors is that you finish school in the fall, right? You finish all your classes in the fall, and then in the spring you do an internship or you do student teaching. That's, this is correct? This is still how it works? Okay. Christians are like an ed major or social work major. You've finished all your classes, you've taken all the finals, you've turned in all the papers, and you're, you, that date is passed, and you're looking forward to your graduation date. It's not here yet, but you're living in that time between when you're really done with school and when you get to walk across the stage and get your diploma. In this parable, there's a guy. Jesus says there's a nobleman, and he goes into a far country to receive a kingdom. Okay? He's not going to receive a faraway kingdom. He's actually going to receive the kingdom that he's in right now. He's going to like the capital city so they can tell him, you're in charge of the kingdom that you live in. And Jesus is, is making clearly an allusion to himself, that he has gone away to purchase the kingdom of God. And he's coming back to rule over it. And he's gone. But the kingdom already belongs to him. Jesus has the kingdom. When Jesus rose from the dead. He became the rightful heir and ruler over all of the universe. Um, so actually Christians are more like. Not just the education major or the social work major. They're like. Some of you guys will finish your finals next semester on like Tuesday. And there's going to be this awkward period between Tuesday and whenever your graduation is, because it lasts for like 11 days, um, Saturday or Sunday or Friday. 
that there's going to be this in-between period where you're already done, but you don't have the degree, and uh, but it's all been done. Um, there's been, it, this year, uh, some really weird endings of college football games. Um, there has been, let's see, Georgia Tech blocked a field goal, ran it back for a touchdown to beat Florida State. Michigan State, the guy fumbled the punt from Michigan at the end of the game, and they ran it in for a touchdown. A few years ago... You guys don't remember, but Appalachian used to be big rivals with a school called Furman University. Uh, yeah, yeah, which Derek uh, went to. And uh, Furman, at the end of a game against Appalachian State, had driven down the field and they scored a touchdown with like five seconds left to go in the game. And if they kicked the extra point, they would have been up two and they would have won the game. But they wanted to make sure that Appalachian couldn't kick a field goal and tie the game, so they went for two to go up three points. And they fumbled on the two-point conversion, and Appalachian picked it up and ran it in with no time left and won the game by one point. Um, Go apps. Thank you. Um, We sometimes think, Christians sometimes think, In this in-between period that there's something that we can do to derail it. And what Jesus wants us to see tonight is because of his resurrection, there's nothing that we can do. He has won the game. There's going to be no last second um, crazy play that's going to change the game. Because we often think that we're the quarterback of the team, right? We have to make it happen. But Jesus has, has in fact, quarterbacked the game for us and is going to win. But we need need to remember, remember the already. We need to remember that Jesus has won, that this kingdom is coming, that it's already here and happening. But we also need to remember the not yet. Um, I used to live in Savannah, Georgia, and it's a wonderful, beautiful place. And one of the beautiful things about Savannah is that it's full of a bunch of artists um, because there's a school there where my wife went, the Savannah College of Art and Design. And we had this friend, and like his thing that he enjoyed doing was writing this graffiti on everything, and the graffiti said, everything will be okay. Okay, so like if you went into the bathroom of a restaurant, and you were like standing in front of the toilet paper dispenser, or the uh, paper towel dispenser, probably be written on it, everything will be okay. And it's true, it already tells us that everything will be okay. That is like, should be like the Christian mantra. If you're looking for like a summary statement of the Christian view of the world, it's everything will be okay. Every little thing's going to be all right. Everything's going to work out in the end, but it's going to be all right, but it's not going to be all right right now. And this is where some of us get confused because we think Jesus came and he's supposed to be doing this thing and I'm supposed to have that right now. Um, But according to this parable, our king is away and he's not yet come back. There's going to be pain and there's going to be heartache and there's going to be sadness. There's going to be a new dawn in the morning, but for now we tarry through the night. And the reason I bring all this up is because this is the reason why Jesus told his disciples this parable. At the beginning of this passage, he says that he told them this parable because somebody thought that some of them thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. Okay, Jesus has lived, he's done his ministry, and now he and his disciples, his best friends, they're going to Jerusalem. And they're about to, this is the last thing that happens before Jesus goes to Jerusalem. And Jesus knows he's about to go to Jerusalem and die. He's about to go on a cross and die. His disciples think that this is the time where Jesus is going to take over. Where he's going to become the king of Israel. He's going to sit on the throne. He's going to banish the Roman people. And he's going to save Israel. 
That he's literally going to be a political leader and he's going to bring the kingdom now. And their expectations set them up for disappointment because the disciples are just like us. Um, The disciples think that the kingdom can come without death and suffering. They think that Jesus can just go into Jerusalem and take control and give them power and give them everything they wanted. They want glory, but they don't want death and resurrection. And Jesus knows that his death and resurrection are the only things that can bring the kingdom into existence. They want it now, and they want it to be tangible. They want to be able to touch, taste, smell it, and they want it right now. And we're the same way. Um, Some of you guys don't make a lot of, if you're a Christian, you don't make a lot of people that are friends with people that are like clearly not Christians because they make you feel uncomfortable. Like there are certain things that you can't say around them and you expect to be comfortable all the time. And so you just don't make friends with them because you want it now. Um, Or you don't make friends with people that look different than you because you know that there are certain jokes and uh, things that you would say if you were super comfortable and you don't want to have to think about that so you just don't make friends with those folks. Um, Some of you guys are resentful because you don't have a significant other and there's going to be no ring by spring like there was for Wesley and Sarah. Um, And you hate Wesley and Sarah. Um, Amen. Um, Because you expected it to happen now. You want it now. You want that intimacy now. Um, Like, what if Mr. or Mrs. Wright never comes? Um, Some of you guys avoid conflicts completely. You're like, these people are fighting, and I'm going back to my room now. Even though I actually need to be part of this because it's partly my problem. You just avoid it completely because... Conflict is bad, and peace is what I want. And yeah, Jesus is going to bring peace forever. Yeah, fine, whatever. Um, but I just don't want this right now. I'm going to take it right now. So you just avoid conflict completely. Um, some of you guys are scared to graduate because you're going to move away from your best friends, and you don't think you'll be okay if they aren't there at 2 o'clock in the morning for you like they are now. So you're terrified to leave because you need that from your friends. Or some of you guys are looking forward to the election. This is just like garden variety. My mini Messiah will bring a mini kingdom to bear in the world. And things will be slightly better and so you put your hope in that. Everything is going to be okay, but it's not going to be okay right now. The Christian perspective gives you room to say, things were made to be beautiful. They're not beautiful anymore. They're going to be okay, but for now I can suffer and be sorrowful In that, for now, we pray, we hope, we look forward, but we understand we're living between the resurrection and the second coming. We're living in the already and the not yet. And these servants are waiting too, okay? I set all that up to to say these, these things about the servants. This nobleman leaves, he leaves his servants with each amina, which is like three months pay three months wages and he says when i'm gone i want you to do business with this money until i get back and they're waiting for him to come back and jesus wants to show us one huge point and it's this you have to remember the good king you have to remember that the king is good you have to remember the already remember the not yet and remember the good king what really matters for your life 
whether you're a Christian or not, is that as you wait in the already and not yet, you have to know what kind of character God has. You have to know what kind of king the king is, whether he is good or not. Okay, there's first two guys. He goes to them and he says, hey, I gave you one mina, what'd you do with it? And the guy says, hey, I made, I made ten minas more, which is pretty good. He took three months' wages, and through his shrewdness, he made two and a half years' worth of income. That's pretty good. That's a thousand percent profit. And if you are in the business school, you would know that that is, that is a good investment. Um, the other guy, he, he, he takes his one minute, he makes five. That's also pretty good. That's, what, a 500% increase. Um, but regardless, they made a lot of money. He says to the one guy, I'm going to give you 10 cities. This would be like you aced your accounting final. Like you made a 100 some of you guys are like, if only I could make a 100 on my accounting final. I don't know how Excel works. Um, but let's say you ace your accounting final. You make a 100 on it. And then your teacher goes, well done, accounting class person. You are now the dean of the Walker College of Business. Congratulations. <laughs> um, we had some, some students. One of the perks of this job is that people will babysit for us for free. Um, that's not going to happen to you when you graduate and have children. Um, but you won't be as awesome as me. Um, and so my wife and I were, were away overnight. And so some students, they signed up in like shifts and watched our kids overnight and while we were gone. And it's kind of like me saying like, Audrey, you spent the night and you watched our children through the night. Thank you so much for doing that. We would like you to have our house. <laughs> Just as a small token of our appreciation for watching our children for one 12-hour period. Um, or like Rachel. Thank you, Rachel, that you watched our children from 12 to 3. We would like you to have our 2005 Honda Odyssey minivan. Um, it's not much from the outside, but it is a beautiful vehicle. The, the, the point is, these guys did well with what he gave them, but the reward that they get is extravagant. It's lavish. Even if you get a 1,000% increase on the money you make, there's no reason why this guy should give them 10 cities to manage. But the reality is, this king doesn't work on deserving it. He works on grace. He says, you've been faithful with what I gave you. I'm going to lavish you with gifts. I'm going to give you far beyond you deserve because I am joyful, I'm lavish, I'm abundant, and I love to give good gifts to my people. Those guys saw that king. The third guy says, look, he pulls out the handkerchief with the coin and he says, look, I know that you're a harsh man. I know that you're severe. You reap where you don't sow. And you take things that aren't yours. And so I was afraid of you. And so I didn't do anything. I just kept it. And now I give it back to you. Since he thought the king was mean and harsh and cruel, he had no motivation to serve this king. But obviously he doesn't know the king. Because this is the guy that just lavished ten cities on a guy that did like a pretty good job at managing a small amount of money. He lavished. This guy is full of grace. This king is good. And this guy just doesn't know the king. He thinks that he is cruel. Um, now, some of us, we don't know the king, and we just go on rumor. We're like, yeah, they say that God is, is good. 
But I'm not sure, man. I look around and I see a bunch of stuff that I don't like. And my kind invitation and challenge to you tonight, whether you're a Christian or not, and you're worried that God might be cruel, is to consider the many kindnesses of your life. Consider the many gifts and privileges that you have enjoyed to this point. I'm not downplaying the fact that I know a lot of y'all's stories and a lot of it is hard. But consider the kindnesses of God to you even this day. That you have lived, that you have eaten, that you have breathed, that you have enjoyed the earth. And consider whether God actually is harsh or whether God has actually good and given you abundant gift upon gift. Um, we like to think that God is like that. You guys have that friend that like corrects your grammar? Um, like they catch you on every technicality? Well, it's actually, it's Appalachian. Uh, not that any of you guys would say. I was at a church on, on Sunday in Asheville. And the guy said, Chris is our guy at Appalachian State. And I was like, how do you, you live in Asheville, man? Um, how do you not know that it's Appalachian? We treat God, like imagine I went to him and I was like, actually, it's, Appala- it's, it's Appalachian. Um, and I just shamed him in front of everyone. We think that God is trying to catch us on a technicality. Because uh, we think that he is harsh. Um, but Jesus says, actually, this guy probably knew that the king was good, but he, took, he used it as an excuse. He says, I condemn you with your own words. Look, if you knew I was so harsh, why didn't you just invest my money and give it back to me with interest? Like, if you know your parents hate for you to stay out past your curfew, and then you stay out past your curfew, and you're like, you're just so mean, you always get so mad when I stay out past my curfew, so I just stayed out past my curfew because I was afraid of you. It doesn't, like, doesn't make any, it doesn't make any sense. Obviously, you would know that your parents would not cast you out, that they actually love you. And sometimes we act like God is harsh because we just don't want to do anything. Like, you, just, you don't date because you're like, it's probably not going to go well. And God's probably not going to, like, give me the thing I really want. So I just totally stay out of it. And I just act like guys just don't even exist or girls don't even exist. So you just, you just don't, you don't date. Um, or you don't move toward a difficult friend because you're like, you know what, I've tried two times to love them, and both times they were difficult. And I just don't know if I can do difficult again. God's just not calling me to that relationship right now. I've poured into them, and they are not pouring into me. And I just I can't be with someone that's not pouring into me, whatever pouring into me means. Um, or you don't take a position of leadership in your church or with RUF because you're like, that always lets me down. And really, we just don't want to do something. Um, when we don't believe that God's fundamental character is good and full of grace, we aren't motivated to serve him at all. If you're questioning how good God is, you will always find life as a Christian to be drudgery. Like, oh, I really want to have sex now. And it just sucks that I can't, you know. Um, like, I really just want to make as much money as I can so I'll be secure, and it just sucks that God tells me i got to, like, give some of that away. Um, but when we see that our king is good and he's full of love and lavish grace, then we want to serve him. A friend of mine named Brian Habig, he, he preached on a similar passage to this. He said, look, God is love. The Bible says God is love. The Bible doesn't say God is wrath. Okay? The Bible says God is love. He has wrath. God is love. If he were wrath, you would know it. 
You would not be able to reflect on the many kindnesses of God to you this day. If he was wrath, you would know it. And you can either have one of two stories. You can either believe that you live under the reign of a stern and a cruel God that only wants the worst for you. And who's never pleased with you. Or you can see yourself as an adopted son or daughter of a king who is lavishing gifts on you and calling you into a kingdom and giving you spending money and saying, just go out there and invest it. Serve all the things I've given you. Just go out and use it. You're free to do that. You're free to fail. You're free to do whatever. Just trust me and go with it. I, I spent a lot of time convinced I could never go into ministry. Because pastors, like, they wear a suit and they always know the answers. When they sit down with somebody, a pastor, of course, he always knows exactly what to say. And he's exactly what scripture reference to turn to because he's sitting in his office all day practicing the scripture references. That's what a pastor is. And the beautiful thing about RUF, I, got sick. I came to, to, to know the Lord Jesus Christ through the ministry of RUF. And again and again, God has been kind to me because he's shown me through RUF that I can try and fail and it's okay. Like, I'm free to fail in RUF. And if you serve in RUF, I hope you know and you get that from me that you're free to fail here. You're free to try to try and do that community group and just utterly screw the whole thing up and still be loved. Jesus, bit by bit, has shown me in ministry that his power is made perfect in weakness. And he's freed me to try because he's good. I'm not good. He is good to me. In Jesus' kingdom, we are set free to serve him with great joy because he loves us and has lavished himself on us. And if you know Jesus tonight, he has given you gifts. And he said, I just want you to be happy in me and then just use those gifts out of that happiness and out of my love and out of my grace to enjoy me. And if you don't know Jesus, that's the kingdom that you're being invited to right now. Is one where he says, you are free to love and serve and enjoy me. And you are free to fail. May God help us as we live in the already and not yet to trust him that he's good. Let's pray. Father, we, um, we don't always feel that you're good. Um, and... Uh, that keeps us from just stepping out and uh, trusting and loving you. But we ask that you would show us afresh, whether for the first time or for the thousandth time, that you indeed are good, that you are for us in Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.